I'm Tom. I'm Stephanie. This is a podcast about what bonds people and places together. Or as we like to call it, food glue. I've got a divisive question for you. Best biscuits is there anything more british apart from turning to tea and biscuits when things are difficult tough or or the opposite <laughs> or you're tired um and i think really been thinking about what the best biscuits are you're allowed two categories one for dunking best biscuit and non-dunking best biscuit because i think they have very different qualities dunking but i have i think mine are probably the same one though Oh, okay interesting and it is this is i'm not even sure this is a question it's like because the answer is just so massively obvious. Oh, it's a, clearly a dark chocolate covered hobnob. Not a dark chocolate covered digestive. No, I prefer the more oaty goodness. However, controversially, I feel the McVitie's one is now too sweet and not oaty enough. Oh. So I think the Lidl and Aldi options for a dark chocolate covered hobnob are now better. A dark chocolate oaty biscuit. Maybe. A dark chocolate oaty biscuit <laughs> in the style of a hobnob is the king of biscuits. I heard somebody saying the other day, actually, that, you know, M&S make those extremely chocolatey ones where it's like 90% chocolate and 10% biscuit, that the Aldi and or Lidl version of that is the better one. So maybe we need to do an Aldi biscuit crawl. I don't know. If you were going, if you're in a meeting, right, or at someone's house and they've got one of those biscuit selection packs out on the table and you're going to pick one up, bourbon, whole way for a dry number. Custard cream. But then I can't really, both of those top choices, can't eat them in polite company because I have to take one edge off and like lick the middle out and then have the other half. Even better is to take the dry edge off, dunk that, and then eat the bit with the cream left on as it is without dunking. But I agree with you. I think a top dunking biscuit is a dark chocolate number. I'm in, yeah, I was going to say digestive, but you might have talked me into um, oaty biscuit. I have made my own dark chocolate digestives before. It's a labour of love, but... It sounds like a lot of work. You could just go to, like, Lidl and spend 37p or whatever it is. Yeah, they were good, though. You just have to eat them all in one go. That's the only thing, because they don't last if you make them yourself, because they've not got any stuff in them. Well, my problem is I'm type 2 diabetic. Actually, I'm not very diabetic at the moment, because I'm doing a lot of exercise, but I am type 2 diabetic. So having a lot of biscuits around is generally not the best thing for my health, so we tend to try and avoid it. Though I'm very not type 2 diabetic anymore, but at one point I was quite, so we do need to be a bit careful with what I'm up to. Keeping biscuits out of the house, out but of reach. If I have to have a biscuit, if I'm like, you know, at pain of death, it would be mm. a dark chocolate covered oaty biscuit. Oaty biscuit, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's a good one. We had a lovely time here in the podcast studio. We've got cups of tea, no biscuits, as just discussed, <laughs> and um, it's nice and toasty warm. We've had a beautiful weekend just gone by, which actually I only had. It wasn't being March, it wasn't quite beautiful enough for cooking and eating outside, but I tried to have coffee outside, breakfast outside, in the, you know, blue skies. Did you have any alfresco eating this weekend? I went for a bike ride yeah. with some friends who I haven't ridden with for a while, so that was really nice. And we went out to All Mine Cakes in Southall, not Southwell, but it depends if you're a local. If you're a local, it's Southall, and if you're... Uh, a new a new arrival it tends to be a Southwell. I'd really like to know from the lady there why she went for the name All Mine Cakes by the Lake because it's long. It doesn't it's not it's not great for social medias. No, or like remembering to Google it. All the the, the brown sign always makes me laugh. Have you been? Yeah, loads of times. <laughs> I say loads of times. How many times have I been? Probably three or four times. So it was my first time. Mm. It's a little bit random because it's it's definitely a destination place. Mm. So it's out in the countryside and it's near a fishing lake or fishing lakes so you definitely have to decide that you're going to go there you need to arrive via transport whether be that a bicycle or a car you can walk from Southall you'd yeah. be surprised because there's that disused railway line oh, okay it's probably two and a half k yeah and there's a play park halfway along so I suspect lots of people kind of do it as a long walk with their kids you know halfway along you've got the stop in the play park and then hot chocolates and then walk back we've actually parked there before um got a coffee and walked into Southall Okay. Nice. I did not realise, mm. but now I do. But it was very pleasant. So we had to wait a while to sit by the lake. We had bikes with us, so we didn't really want to sit mm. inside. They have bike rack, though, don't they? No, it sort of just leaned up against the fence. They I think they could probably do a bit of... Where's the bike rack? Where's the bike rack? <laughs> See, I'm not doing very well here. <laughs> Stephanie is much better when than me. you come in... Yes. And the door, you sort of have to go round to the door, don't yes. you? It's like there. It wasn't there. Oh, maybe, maybe they've moved it then. Maybe they've 
Yeah, there was no bike rack, unless I'm massively mistaken. <laughs> I'll just come with you next time and show you how Jim, it's done. Well, yes, so clearly we need to like walk from Southall, because I didn't know about that, <laughs> down the track, play, have a go in the play park, which I'm quite looking forward to, Yeah. and then um, find where the bike rack is, and then it would be much better. But that was very pleasant. So we sat by the lake in the sun. It was absolutely, you know, it's one of those lovely days when the first day of spring or summer feels like it's actually coming, where you can take off your winter clothing and sit there and you're with your sleeves and your legs out, warming yourself, which is very lovely. The cakes were, I think the cakes were a little not as generous as I would like to see. They're a little bit small on the portion size. They are on the tray bake side, aren't they? Rather yes. than cake slices. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Um, they were very, t- I had a chocolate orange brownie, which was very nice. Mm. I mainly went for that because the cakes looked a bit small. But the cakes looked delicious. Mm. But I was a bit I kind of wanted den- density of calories at That's that point. That's kind of their forte as well, isn't it? Like they do cakes by mail, they always have vegan cakes, gluten free cakes, every dietary requirement I you mean, can think of. The selection was enormous. Almost all gluten free. It was like twenty actually. odd twenty odd cakes yeah. of all as you say, of all sorts of requirements. So they're suitable for everyone under under everything else. I've just said I was diabetic and then I've also just eaten brownie, but I didn't need the sugar at that point. Um, and it was very nice and it was very nice being out in the countryside with mm. good friends and having had a chat on the bike and sitting at a table in the sun by a lake eating a nice cake and drinking coffee how was the coffee? I can't remember it which probably means to me that it wasn't very not wasn't awful and it probably wasn't very good either so it's middle of the road coffee for me I agree with that but I think that's probably a good move on their part I think they appeal to a lot of people and so they haven't gone for like small punchy flavour maybe single origin or like super fancy coffee that maybe Tom or I would pick if we had the choice they've kind of gone for an all-rounder pleaser like big cups you get a decent sized coffee there I think which is really nice um you know they're kind of they thought about their audience I think with their coffee choice there um, did anyone have savoury food there? Because they have a full menu. No. So that's something to try next time. Yeah. I'd, I'd already had a big breakfast, so I was a bit like, I don't need a massive... They do a full English. I've not had it. Liam's had it. It looks really good. I think they maybe do... Do they do waffles? Or something like that. But yeah, we went during lockdown, actually, with some friends that live over that way. And kids. And it was, yeah. The hot chocolates were really good. Yeah, they're quite famous for the hot chocolates. Mm. They looked really good. I saw a couple of people having those. One thing, it is very clean... It is immaculate. Very yeah. modern, very well looked after. Yeah. They're still doing loads of COVID precautions. Yeah. A lot of places have stopped doing that. So that's reassuring, particularly if you have any health conditions. Yeah. I it's immaculate. And they're really looking after the place. The staff are helpful, energetic, and but do things. If you have a an allergy that really impacts you, I think they would be a great place to reach out to. Maybe give them a ring. I think they'd facilitate your visit, say, if you're a celiac or maybe had a nut allergy. I think they'd do everything they could to ensured you had a really nice experience and were able to enjoy their um tea and cakes yeah it felt like they're very customer experience based Mm. and making sure everyone has a good time and everyone is safe Mm. and i think one of the things we've learned from the pandemic is staying safe and Mm. healthy is really important and that seems to be what they're focusing on yeah and they're quite happy to focus their staff are still wearing masks yeah which is probably in a food handling environment it's probably not a bad thing anyway you know there's some things where you're kind of like well actually that was probably a very sensible idea Mm. like i've started having i've started getting colds now now we're mixing more and haven't (laughs) had a cold for two years yeah it's funny isn't it so i know it was a good trip i enjoyed it we'll go back maybe have a savoury option yeah and it's a good one if you maybe are taking kids on kids bikes because of the disused railway line i think it's three miles one way and seven miles the other way or maybe it's seven miles round trip so maybe three miles one way and four miles the other way so yeah it's completely traffic free um or if there are little side roads it's they're clearly marked with like big fences and things well i've talked about a couple of my friends that have recently had babies saying we could go over there park up and do a buggy run because it's so flat Oh. And then have tea and cake after, because it'd be perfect for a buggy run. It's also not too far out yeah. of Nottingham or Southall. Yeah. So it's not a massive trek to get to. No. Nope. And it's a nice part of the world as well. Yeah, even so. if you drive over, it's a nice drive, I think. I've driven there a few times to walk the dog. Yep. So that was All Mine Cakes by the Lake near Southall. That's a long name, isn't it? Mm. You are right. So Stephanie... Mm. You took a trip out to the countryside recently to enjoy a cafe with your friends. I did. I went out with two friends to um, Sarsfield Chocolaterie. Choc- to go for friends. Chocolaterie. To enjoy their afternoon tea. They're out in Hickling, which actually has got another great tea room that I'm sure we'll talk about another time, and a great pub. So if you kind of want an afternoon out and you're not booked anywhere, three good choices there that you could try. This would also be a great cycle stop apart from the last bit's gravel so if you're like me and a bit nervous about that just get off and walk the last bit it's a modern build 
sort of cabin um, and the team there Jerome and Katie kind of quit their jobs to start a chocolate company and then they've kind of worked their way up to having the chocolatieri that went wrong didn't it chocolatier 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 I don't know, it's like boulangerie, isn't it's it? It's a chocolate, chocolate shop. <laughs> and um, I'm reliably informed that Jerome used to run a posh toilet business, so he's gone, you know, like posh, port lose for dues. So he's changed his career quite a lot there. And they now have this beautiful building where they do make all the chocolate because um, they make bars and drops and things like that. Um, but they also have um, a cake counter um, with massive bits of cake but they also offer an afternoon tea so as a little treat um with some of my friends one of whom he's just had a baby so it was a nice outing for her without the baby we had the afternoon tea it's very different tell me more about it the last time i had afternoon tea it was very traditional i took my mum out to browns in town and it was a very traditional afternoon tea it was very nice but this sounds intriguing. So it came on three tiers stand, like a normal afternoon tea, but they really did their own spin on it. So for the savouries, we had a couple of the more traditional sandwiches. So I think um, I had the veggie one. I'm pretty sure I had an egg and a hummus. Also a cute little sort of um, cheese and tomato on stick. I kind of wish they'd put pineapple because I love cheese and pineapple on stick. Proper 90s party classics treat. And there was a little shot glass of soup, which was amazing. And actually, it was the kind of soup that it didn't matter if it was cold or hot. So it came hot. Um, but if I'd forgotten and had it later, I don't think it would have mattered. And also some little, like, pinwheel wraps. So that was really like, nice, a little bit different. And then on the middle tier was your own little miniature sort of chocolate fondue with loads of fruit and this dipping pot of chocolate. Oh, my goodness. It was amazing. I could have just had the dipping like maybe double the size dipping pot of chocolate and just had a good old go at it i obviously scraped the last bits out of my fingers after i'd finished the fruit because it was that good there was a scone just one which was right because it was a lot of food with jam and cream and i don't like strawberry jam and they had no problem swapping my jam out and then there was a chocolate truffle a bakewell a mini bakewell and a mini brownie it was a lot of food i had to take a little bit home actually because it was a lot. Is this for each of you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is quite a lot. It was great. I'm not going to complain. I was hungry. We didn't have a slice of cake, uh, but one of my friends took a slice of cake home. They were big. And I took some chocolate home. They got a few gifty bits. They're well known there for their hot chocolate. And some people kind of came in behind us for hot chocolates and they were huge. They're also dog friendly. So you could take your dog. Yeah, it was really good. Nice ambiance. Kind of, we were in a corner and there's maybe only 20 covers in there, maybe 24. And so you've got nice hubbub and you've also got people coming in, like some cyclists came in, people coming in and out getting takeaway um, or just pausing for a few minutes to have a quick coffee. Um, so it kind of felt hubbub. You can see right into where Jerome's actually making the chocolate and he prepared the afternoon tea and brought it out to us. So yeah, I was really pleased. You know, sometimes you can go for an afternoon tea and it can be a bit, it can feel a bit formal or staged but this was just really comfy like none of us felt the need to dress up which is also quite nice and it was just a really relaxed place for a lovely afternoon tea i'd definitely go again it's on the cycling circuit mm. it's one of those places people go to mm. certainly on a saturday sunday at the weekend you might run into quite a lot of cyclists yeah maybe a it depends which club is out and doing doing what and when. I think probably because we were a bit later, it was like half past two on a Saturday. Most of the cyclists were probably done by then. There was yep. maybe a couple of older chaps that came in. But yeah, a lot of people with dogs um, and families. It was funny because my friend had had, it was like her first afternoon off without her baby and the people next to us had a tiny baby. <laughs> but yeah, really nice place. Um, nice walks from there down the canal. Yep. Nice flat walks. So it's right quite near the Nottingham and Grantham Canal, yeah. which still runs from Nottingham to Grantham. With a towpath the whole way. Very yeah. pleasant. Yeah, so highly recommend it. It would actually be really interesting to maybe talk to those guys about their journey, where they've come from. So we'll have to explore that. <laughs> I'm going to go down a chocolate black hole now, talking about the chocolatieri. I can't say it. I get stuck. Well, chocolatier is the person that makes the chocolate. So it's a chocolaterie. Yeah, it's, it's like a boulangerie. Yeah. Yeah. I only did French for 10 years I should know this, it's embarrassing isn't it <laughs> um, but talking of that 
one of my favourite food memories is my family in Switzerland and going to Switzerland every year, you know, first few years we you get your lint chocolate and you get different flavours there and, you know, you go to the supermarket and there's miles of chocolate and it's so exciting. And then we kind of got wind of this chocolate company called Kellier, uh, which you don't get in the UK, you only get it in Switzerland, much like Swiss wine, they keep the good stuff to themselves. And it's up near Gruyere of cheese fame. So we were going up in that direction one day and we decided to visit the chocolate factory, proper Willy Wonka style, with my very dear Auntie Trudy, my mum and my dad. I've been a few times now, but probably the first time I went, I must have been 12 maximum. And you get sent on the tour, you kind of get, it's a bit like, I don't know, some other tourist attractions in the UK, but it's a beautiful white building, beautiful grounds. It's proper like, if you imagine that the outside of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory was as nice as the inside, then it's just like that. It's really like immaculate, very Swiss. And you go inside and you sort you pay for your tour and you get ushered into this room where you get told the history of Kellier. And it all revolves around um, a young man um, getting a young girl to shut her eyes and have the piece of chocolate. And the really important thing about Kellier chocolate that's very different to other chocolates is they don't use powdered milks in their chocolate that and in fact they use a condensed milk which means it melts the kind of melting point of the chocolate is completely different and so it literally melts on your tongue as soon as you put it in your mouth if you try that with a piece of cabris it takes ages because they're expecting you to bite it um so the melt point is completely different so it really is an in a different taste a different kind of sensation when you're eating kelly air chocolate um you kind of wander through I, I can't remember if you get put in a little sort of train bit and talk about how chocolate's made how they're how their specific chocolate's made a little train bit yeah you know like a little, like a little sat in a little not, not a little ride a little ride like a ghost yeah. train yeah not with a engine Oh. Just on tracks. Um, you can't see my disappointed face now. Pootling through. And then um, you're walking past the guys making the chocolates and they do bars and truffles there. And then you get taken into this square room with glass cabinets. And so everybody's kind of lined up around the outside. And then basically underneath the glass are all the different varieties of chocolate. And a lady talks to you about all the different varieties. And then they literally pull the trays out from the glass and put them on the top. Oh my days. And my Aunt Trudy is... I mean, she was probably in her 70s then and very refined. You know, she has a hair set, so she's not going to eat chocolate, bless her. Does she have a very continental scarf? Most of the time, yes. Very, yeah, she could be in The Sound of Music. So she's just putting them in her pocket for me later. I've Honestly, it's so, I ate a lot of chocolate that day, but it's so beautiful. And everybody's, like, wandering around. And unless you get, I mean, the first time we went, I think, there can't have been many other non-Swiss people there. So, of course, it's very polite, though. And you're walking around trying, like, every single one of these. Ah, oh, their main amazing one is called Frigor, which has a slightly melty centre, but a hard outside, and they do that in milk and dark. And uh, they do a... Oh, I'm going in a proper black hole at their chocolates now. I haven't had one for ages. They do one with honeycomb in, which is incredible. They do the sort of Calier Classic comes in a pale lilac wrapper with gold writing. Oh, I want some now. You just can't buy it here, and you can't. It's not even like an Amazon job. Um, probably, there must be some sort of Swiss specialist importers yeah. that you probably have to find. So I really like, uh, you know, if you go to France, you get the syrup. 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 Yeah. And it's completely different to squash. It's not squash. It's beautiful, mm. um, and you just can't get it here. I'm particularly a fan of pumplemousse and, and cassis grenadine. and grenadine. I love all those things, and you just you have to go to a really specialist importer. Mm to get them and they're mm. ferociously expensive but mm. you can get if you try really hard you can do it I've got some such fabulous memories of spending holidays in france with my parents mm. and my brother and syrup and we used to of course bring endless cans of grenadine and bumper mousse and cassie's home oh, what's the brand is it became a tea and they're always green weren't they it's like a squash bottle shape but made of tin well, back in those days it was literally a cylinder just a cylinder yeah. with a thing on top. So it's completely different to British squash bottles. I think they've gone probably, these days, I would imagine it's gone a bit more conventional. Um, but I love that stuff. Mm. I still do. Mm. But oh. I imagine it's, there must be a Swiss importer. Sorry, that's yeah. my aside to your aside. Yeah, because I just want some chocolate now. But n there's nothing I've had in the UK that compares to it. It's just delicious. I can only encourage you enough if you're in Switzerland to make the pilgrimage there and load up at the tasting section and uh, buy plenty of chocolate at the end because then you get released into the shop of course exit through the gift shop yeah Calier is a really 
a special chocolate and a special place. I'm still intrigued by this ride. Only because I went to the Yorvik Centre. This is completely unfood related. Mm. Went to the Yorvik Centre in York recently, uh, visiting a friend. And she was a very interesting little tiny little small small mm. room. They've done a very good job of taking you back through time with really weird animatronic people and smells and foods and animatronic vikings animatronic vikings which are terrifying even for this 44 year old man i was absolutely i was like really some of them are really freaking me out especially the cabbage seller who was yelling at a woman god knows why he was yelling at a woman but he was and the same the same animatronic viking made a child cry in the little car behind us so i'm quite just i had visions of you sitting being shouted at by animatronic swiss people on, on a ride through the chocolate airs. i think we just got moved around the factory a bit i'm a bit disappointed again mm. I had visions of some willy wonka glass elevator ride as well oh i know i know in a little bit because i've not been there since i was a kid that it sort of is getting getting there in my head i'm beginning to sort of gild the memories um i'm just reading a book at the moment called uh the starless sea it's a bit of a fantasy it probably came under young adult fiction, but I don't really care. And they have an elevator in that, which properly gives you Willy Wonka vibes. Like, it's all gold with velvet seats, and you don't get elevators like that in real life. I like young adult fiction, yeah. because it's much more, generally, much more escapist yeah. than adult fiction, mm. which is generally about people being miserable to each other. You know, so when you want a bit yeah. of cheering up, it's generally not the best. Yeah. So I totally agree with you on that one. Mm. It's a really good book. I recommend it. Because you've definitely got a bit... Tom, last time we spoke, you mentioned that you were finally going to meet up with some of your friends that you haven't seen for ages. I think you were going to a brewery takeover in town. Correct. So I've, you know, like all of us, we have some close friends. And with the pandemic, it's been really quite difficult. And particularly as people have been moving on and jobs and other such things, we haven't really had a chance for my kind of three drinking buddies to get together. So there's four of us. And we haven't really had a chance to get together and actually spend some time together as a group we kind of met each other in ones and twos but not the four of us when i say drinking buddies we're not exactly lager louts running around watching sport and shouting mm. at people we just like a really nice beer and then we like to sit there and talk and talk in probably completely poncy fashion about the really nice beer that we're drinking so we found out that one of our favorite breweries buxton were doing a takeover of one of the local real ale craft ale pubs which is the goodfellow george in canning circus in nottingham and the goodfellow george used to be owned by the same people that run Totally Tapped, uh, we've, I've been to with Stephanie, which is a very small local micropub. This isn't a micropub, it's a full-size pub. Um, but they were, certainly due to the pandemic, unable to make ends meet running a large pub, so they sold out to this new company, this new people. And they have done a refit. They've left the amazing bar, which is two pence pieces laid into resin. The Overdraft and the Goodfellow George are in the old NatWest, so it's slightly banking-themed. They're still the old day safe night safe in the wall and there's still some nods to it to its old Very history cool. you can the toilets are actually in the old vault <gasps> there's no vault door but you have to go down the stairs yeah. into what would have been the vault cool. to go for a wee which is quite good fun uh, when you know the history of the place mm. um so they and they have a lot of pumps so they have a lot of cask pull the old traditional handles as well as keg so what we now mainly associate with for most people associate with lager so co2 cooled uh, beer but it's now getting more and more live crafty beer going in going into kegs mm -hmm. but buxton are quite a traditional brewers based out of buxton in the peak district and unlike a lot of brewers they don't spend a lot of time using a lot of i use a posh word called adjuncts but adjuncts is effectively when you start sticking cherries and tonka beans mm. and all of that kind of stuff into their beer they do it all with mostly with yeasts and their malts mm -hmm. so the things which fundamentally make a beer so your hops your yeast and then the actual grain that you use to make mm -hmm. your beer they do it by messing around with those rather than chucking in a load of extra flavors i guess like with coffee depending on how you grind brew yeah. blend you can get all of those flavors without adding any additional yeah do you like chocolate do you mm. like cinnamon notes yeah, or do you... cherry or whatever yeah. you can do all that with your roast and how you treat mm. it and you can do even more with beer because you've got even more things to control Mm -hmm. So beer fundamentally is a grain, mm -hmm. a hop, mm -hmm. and a yeast, and all of those different things add different flavours at different points. And you and you can change with different yeasts and grains and the malt, basically how much you roast it, and probably mm -hmm. the core ingredient itself. How good is that grain mm -hmm. that goes in? You can control the flavours. So you can do quite a lot if you know what you're doing with some quite basic ingredients. But you probably have to spend quite a lot of money on good basic ingredients like anything else to get really good results. And so the beer they produce, some people think it's a bit boring because it's not wild mad mm -hmm. 
craft ale flavours, which actually gets a bit boring in the end. It's I've not had a peanut butter mocha stout. I've had and I've had quite a lot of peanut butter mocha stouts in the last couple of years, <laughs> and quite a lot of fruit flavoured IPA, hazy IPAs, and which is all very lovely. But sometimes you just want something really crisp, really clean, and really simple, and classic, and tasting beautifully. Yeah, and they can do a lot. I say they can do a lot with those basic ingredients so it was absolutely fantastic but it was a complete takeover so normally when they say a takeover it's not normally but every single pretty much every single pump other than the the standard lager and the and the boo boo was buxton so they must have had i think they had something like 16 different buxton beers on wow which was amazing now we didn't manage to get through all of them because that would have been (laughs) a big night out big night out we didn't really want a big night out because it was my mate Ben's birthday. Mm-hmm. So we got there quite late because we spent some time with his family, which was really nice actually. Mm. Talking about bringing communities together. This was Ben's family came up to see him from Peterborough, and his nan and his granddad and his mum came up, which was really lovely. Oh. Who I've met a few times, so it was really yeah. nice to see them. And they were really pleased because they've not seen him for a while because of the pandemic. So they were really pleased to see all, all his friends came out and we had yeah. a lovely chat. Wicked. So we're talking and we got on really well, so that was really pleasant. And then once they got a bit tired, they went off to Peterborough and we walked up to Canning Circus. So it's the first time I've been in the good fellow George since the change of ownership. So that was really nice. Mm-hmm. And we had a really a, some really lovely beer. I've got a question, sorry. Do they use the water from Buxton? I would imagine they do. I wonder if that impacts the flavour. It does, the water. It's yeah. like it's like whiskey and everything else. Yeah. And coffee as well. Just thinking Buxton's well known for its spring water. So if they're using so Buxton can... spring water. The words you said, crisp and clear, I think some of the words you said... That's the, the image you have in your head when you think about Buxton in general, I think. Well, a lot of there's a lot of really good breweries in the Midlands because of the water mm. and because of the mineralisation in the water. Nottingham tap water, once you get the chlorine out, is actually really good for making coffee with because there's quite a lot of minerals in it. Mm. If you use some places mm. where the water's quite... Is it like, can it be too soft almost? Yes, if yeah. the water's too soft, it can be quite hard to get really good flavour out of yeah. coffee and beer. So we're quite lucky here. Yeah. Obviously, if you let it stand for a little bit, let the, let the chlorine out. Yeah. Actually, doesn't really matter once mm. it's been through a coffee machine and a filter mm. anyway. Um, you can get better product, and the same is with beer. And that's why you get a lot of breweries in the Midlands. You know, the biggest, mm. the biggest commercial breweries are in Stoke-on-Trent. That's where the really big commercial lager brewers are because of, because of the water and the transport network, but mainly because of the water. None of that dirty Thames beer. <laughs> Plenty of breweries on the Thames. Well, Thames water is really not very good. It's not. It's not very mineralised because it doesn't run through mountains and hills, and so it doesn't pick up a lot of the. It would be interesting, wouldn't it, to think about a like commercial beer, but one that's like Fuller's, for example, that's come from the Thames, and then maybe one of these ones from Stoke, and like try and get as close as possible match of like the hops and everything really taste that difference in the water have like a great british beer off yeah and you get the same ingredients water but they've got off. to try and brew the best beer yeah. they can that'd be yeah. quite interesting which if any tv producers are out there and would like to sponsor <laughs> m- myself and off. stephanie brew off and we'll present the great british brew off we'll be very like, happy to i do don't it. really like beer <laughs> this one's all right now you do like you i am yeah. do you like beer i am actually you're quite I'm getting into it you're quite you're a bit more specialist with your beers yeah although what did we have yesterday? We had some Peretti um, and some Brewdog. And I had a sip of Brewdog and then the Peretti. And I was able to be like, wow, these taste completely different. And right now I actually fancy the Peretti because it's like six o'clock in the afternoon, the sun's shining, something a little bit sweeter and less complicated is bang on. And Liam got to finish the um, punk, which I think he was happy with. Because it tasted too sour, actually, at that point. Um, too many flavours in there. It was, hit me in the face a bit. Whereas I wanted something a bit more easy drinking. So I'm getting there. Well, I think beer's like... Beer is the same as any drink. It's, mm. also, it's also affected by the glass it goes into. Mm. That's why, if you go to Belgium, mm. they insist on... Every single Belgian beer comes with its own glass. And they mm. insist on... Actually, I think it's legally obliged to serve you in the appropriate glass that the beer comes with because it they think it affects the taste so they choose the right receptacle the same way you can drink a cup of tea out of a different yeah. people say you know tea tastes different out of bone china tastes mm. different out of a mug tastes different out of different things and beer's the same it's just and wine's the same it's just mm. the way that we're sounding really getting off on one but i think it's quite important sometimes mm. so what did i have i think it wasn't that adventurous but they had some stuff I, which is generally you'd have to go into buxton to have and i thought that's a really good opportunity to have some of the beers which generally don't travel that they either have in their own tap house or just stays very locally because they're really nice so one of the ones was a 
double axe, which is a IPA, but it's a quad IPA. So it was 13%. What? So you're talking about wine strength. Did you have a third? I did have a third of that. Or I might have had two thirds. I can't really remember. So it's not if you had a 13% beer. That's why you can't remember. I certainly didn't have a pint of it. Um, and that is a very, it's kind of, that's a very kind of normal for craft ale hazy IPA. So it's not, it's not gone through the fining process. It's one of the things that's quite nice for vegans as well. There's been no animal products used in the mm. in the production of it. Findings when they use basically fish byproduct to take the cloudiness out of beer. Mm. Clarity of beer used to be one of the things people just bang on about these days. We pretty much don't worry about it once mm. you get into it a bit more. You'd rather have a hazy one because it also takes a bit of the taste out. Mm. Like anytime you start clarifying things, you lose some of the things which give it the taste in the first place. Mm. And also it's obviously yeah, vegan, more vegan friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, but a quad IPA, yeah, so you can't have too much of it. It was alarmingly smooth. So super dangerous. If you didn't know you were drinking 13%, you'd probably think it was six or seven. Mm. And the thing about beer at that strength is once you get a little bit used to it, you can't really taste the alcohol and the alcohol becomes a carrier for the other flavours. That's one of the problems I have with low no alcohol beers is I can't, they don't really taste anything to me. So I'd rather have a substitute, not try and Mm. drink a low alcohol beer because I really miss, I like the flavour of beer and it's the alcohol which really carries the flavour. I saw a good bit of marketing the other day actually with a non-alcoholic alcohol company that said why take the alcohol out why not start with something more interesting and they're kind of brewing beverages with herbs and spices and things. What else did you have? I had a pint this time of Gatekeeper mm-hmm. which was a quite traditional porter but very delicious very kind of chocolatey and malty but again done with done with the brewing process not done with a load of adjuncts in it which was really nice what's the difference between a porter and a stout i'm gonna have to look that up so you asked the difference between a porter and a stout to be honest i couldn't tell you off the top of my head so i have just looked it up so let's go through it so a porter is kind of the old recipe for a stout oh okay fundamentally and it's made with dark malted barley hops and some yeasts some quite specific yeasts and you get a dark medium bodied beer but they tend, to, they tend to be quite sweet as well mm. as bitter. I guess it's the dark malted barley means it's effectively toasted, isn't it? Yeah, dark malt, yeah. We like use a bit of dark toast. You can go almost black with some mm. of them, some of the really dark dark ones. So I wonder black. if that's almost like the caramelisation process is happening, which is why they come out sweet. And then with stouts, they're basically, fundamentally, they're basically stronger. So they were stout porters because they're stronger than a porter. And then the porter bit got dropped. As we go, as we go forward, there's some oh, other stuff. So it's just stout because it's like like a stout. Oh, hench! It's like hench beer. So these days, apparently, the biggest difference is between with the malts. So porters use a malted barley, and stouts primarily use unmalted roasted barley. So you don't go through that malting process. That's basically mm. when they spray it with water, and it effectively starts fermenting and starts growing, which makes it sweeter because of the, some of the carbohydrates start converting into sugars and stuff. Mm. And ferments are good for you. So stouts use unmalted roasted barley, and that's what gives them that more coffee-like rather than chocolate. So let's go. So for kind of for the layman, including myself, porters can be a bit more sweet, whereas stouts tend to be a bit more bitter and a bit heavier. Mm, thanks for that. That was interesting. Basically, they're the same thing. Yes. If you like a porter, you like a stout. Stouts are a bit heavier, a bit more full-bodied, a bit more mouthfeel because they're stronger, and alcohol also gives beer that nice mouthfeel they really like as well. Um, so Gatekeeper was really nice. It's very, it's very simple, very clean. I say when you get, I've been drinking a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Imperial strength stouts, which are basically ten plus, and you drink a third of a pint. You can't drink a whole pint. You'd mm. be ill because you drink, and they're so full of extra flavours. Often mm. coffee, mocha, marshmallow. It's like eating a dessert. So we tend to call them. I'm going out with my partner Joe. We call them pudding beers. Mm. So you might have a third. You go out for a couple of pints. You might have a third of something ridiculous right at the end, just as a just as a pudding, like you were at the end of a meal. And that's all I really want. Just mm. that little same thing. You want to walk away feeling all nice in the mouth and yeah. stuff. Like thinking it's like having a port wine. Don't what was your favourite, do you think, out the ones you tried? Well, it was a double gatekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the same thing, but stronger. Mm-hmm. This was on a keg line rather than a craft, rather than a uh, cask line. So pressurised CO2, a bit more chilled, rather than okay. the kind of mechanical pulling that you do on a cask line did that make it fizzy 
makes it a little bit fizzy but not a lot it's not fizzy 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 but there's definitely a bit of carbon dioxide okay. in there sometimes they can over carbonate and they end up being a bit bitter from the carbon dioxide you know like some like fizzy water some fizzy water tastes yeah. different depending on what's in it mm-hmm. i quite like that in fizzy water but some of them are really overly carbonated and mm. if you're not careful with craft beer you can also over carbonate it mm. and it comes out a bit a bit too cold and a bit too fizzy you need to be mm. a bit careful uh, well, this was really nice now, i got this by accident because i ordered two pints of gatekeeper and the lady behind the bar had started pouring a double gatekeeper before i realized and the manager came over when i think he asked for a gatekeeper and i was like oh i'm really sorry and that's not your fault so then she poured me a pint of gatekeeper and he was like do you want this one instead rather than it going down the sink, the sink would you like this one instead and i was like yes absolutely thank you very much so I did have a pint of that. An export basically means it's stronger. So an export would be, this one is 8.2%. So export's only somewhere between 6 and six and 8. And then Imperial, most people think it's 10 plus, but mm. really a lot of 8, eight plus for an impy stout. Um, and this was, because of the, and because there's more alcohol in it, it carries more of the flavour. So it was just like the previous one we just talked about, but stronger, more flavour and everything else. So it's like having a kind of weak coffee, a really, a really nice coffee, and then having a really small espresso yes and getting even more of the flavor so you're getting the same flavor profile out of the beans but they're just extracting Mm. more flavor from the ingredients Mm. and that was really good that's probably my favorite but again it was a very traditional but very very nicely brewed beer and i think to me me i'm getting back into that kind of stuff after Mm. some years having some really not silly beers but beers with a load of stuff added to them i'm kind of want that more cleaner tasting beer now what i'm starting to enjoy more growing up no, maybe I'm getting getting older and wiser. But breweries like Buxton, for people that really like Buxton, they really like Buxton. Mm. And some people that really like um some people that really like more funny beers, they're not so popular, but I think they're one of the best breweries in the country. Mm. And they do their thing. Mm. They don't tend to chase other stuff. And they make probably the best beer I've ever had, which they're not allowed to make anymore, which is called Yellow Belly. Yellow Belly. There was a kind of copyright constriction with it. Which tasted like, we just kind of talked about it, this tasted like kind of chocolate peanut butter flavoured Imperial Stout. All the things we just talked about being kind of moving away from. But again, they've done it all with the, mm, all with the, the brewing process. All with the brewing process. Um, and it was it's still incredible. It's the most incredible beer I've ever had. Um, and they did it with a brewing. And I think that's to be commended. Absolutely. Less additives, the better in my book, in everything true to the flavours yeah so that was yeah. Buxton Brewery takeover at the good fellow George I think they're, they're going to be doing some more takeovers so I'm sure I should be going along to those excellent at some point I think Guy Ritchie's the film director's got a brewing company I think they're doing a takeover there I'm not sure Guy Ritchie's going to be there but you never know so Stephanie going back to our biscuit discussion <laughs> I hear you've been making some I have well cookies I had a massive cookie craving the other day but as we just mentioned, I didn't want to go out and buy a big bag of cookies because I knew I'd eat them all. So I thought I'll make some, but I'll make a recipe where they get better with frozen dough. So I found this recipe in one of my favourite cookbooks, which is baking books, which is Dan Leopard's Short and Sweet. It's a great book if you want to get into baking and new to baking. It's got the right level of detail. I'm not the most detail orientated person but it's the kind of book that you can take to bed when it arrives and have a bit of a read through um his intros to each section and think about what you want to make it's also got some good savory stuff in there i've made quite a lot from the book always with great success his pizza dough is my favorite pizza dough recipe but i made a new recipe because i happened to have the ingredients for it which was toll house yo-yos they looked really cute crisp chocolate chip I think it's an American cookie, a Toll House yo-yo. Now, this may have been my first mistake, is I've never had a Toll House yo-yo, so I didn't know what to so expect. So you don't have any basis for comparison. Yeah. But you make it into a big log. like my, It was probably four to centimetres long. So I tra- straight away locked it in half, put half in the freezer, put the other bit in the fridge, and then locked that in half and baked half of it. Didn't love them. Oh, what? I wonder if they're going to get better when I've taken them out of the freezer. But they they're kind aging. of crumbly weird texture and i just didn't love them i did overbake the first few so i was glad i did them in batches i had to eat all of those to get rid of the evidence um, just so appalled my, you need to slightly, hide them yeah i had to hide them in my belly they weren't horrible they just weren't what were you expecting and what were they like like a cookie like a cookie yeah, a cookie. explain what kind of p- p- people like different kinds of cookie and different mm. levels of bake so what's your optimum bake level on a cookie a little bit chewy in the like proper chewy in the middle chewy not not too much um, 
you almost want them to be the same colour they were when they went in the oven. Okay. Um, maybe a little bit Millie's Cookies-esque. Anyone that was also born in the 80s and probably early 90s has had plenty of Millie's Cookies. I've got a question for you. Yes. What's the difference between a biscuit and a cookie? You can look it up. No, I just was <laughs> going to say the technical. Technically, it's to do with the butter, sugar and flour ratios. A biscuit should be crisp. Yeah, snap. Yeah. So I made these. They're crumbly. It's almost like a shortbread texture, but something too airy then about a shortbread because you'd want a shortbread to be dense. And I wonder if this is what they're supposed to be like. His recipe talks about taking to them and filling them with a the cream, which I guess would take away from some mm. of the crumbliness because the moisture would seep into them. And you get a nice contrast then yeah. between the two as well. But I just didn't love them. So I'd be interested to know if other people have made this Toll House yo-yo, had a Toll House yo-yo. I mean, Toll House is a brand of chocolate chip. Right, okay. Uh, in America. And well, a yo-yo would imply there's two or something in the middle, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. So maybe I just need to, with the next batch, see what they're like out the freezer, mix a cream into them. Because I just don't think Dan would let me down. He's never let me Isn't down that, before. We've, we use Dan Leopard's mm. cookbooks here. Mm. It's a really nice looking book as well. And we've bought the baking one for people. Mm. His bread book. He writes a lot for The Guardian, so you might know his the way he writes or have tried his recipes without knowing it before. Um, he's also really good value on Twitter. Love does a bit he, of Dan. Does he go off on, on one about bread? Yeah, that's what you want. Someone that's passionate about bread. But I really like that he has in that book a number of recipes that aren't sourdough because sometimes you just want to make one loaf of bread a week and if you're that kind of person, sourdough isn't for you because you end up throwing away a lot of sourdough starter. Well, my mum takes hers for walks around the garden oh. and feeds it and Actually, talks to it. lid off in the garden is probably perfect because you're trying to get all those natural yeasts in the air. Less sterile than your kitchen. Mm. She takes it for a walk. It's quite funny. Yeah, Does it have a name? I shall check. I'll let you know. They all should have names, sourdough starters. But I'm not sure how old hers is. It's probably died several times and she's had to resurrect it. But mm. Have you ever had a Herman the German cake? No. So it's a, it sort of came round Britain a couple of times. Like you'll probably have it once in your life and it's called Herman the German Friendship Cake. Somebody will bring you a cake and a bit of batter for you to bake into your own cake and you give on a bit of the batter. And it's essentially a sourdough starter, just without yeah. being called a sourdough starter. And you're sort of only supposed to... You basically split it into bake a cake with half and give the other half. Uh, it's like a chain letter. Um, I was going to say, wasn't he on Bake Off this year? Or was that someone else? Oh, gosh. Was it Herman? No. Oh, he looked like Winnie the Pooh. I think he was robbed. What was his name? Jürgen was his name. Jürgen the German. Jürgen the German was on Bake Off, not Herman the German. Robbed. Um, so I was going to talk to you, Stephanie, mm. about what's your favourite cooking programme. Because it's something in this house where we really enjoy and we kind of watch, eat dinner, watch cooking programme and then be massive critiques and pretend we actually know what we're talking about when it comes to their food that they're making. So which one is, do you have a favourite? Do you have one you really look forward to each year? I was actually going to say, I feel like there's a bit of a gap at the moment for one that unsavoury food that I really reach out for. Um, growing up, it was always, I always loved the old Master Chef with Lloyd Grossman, Ready Steady Cook, Ainsley, <laughs> love Ainsley, and Nigella, but she hasn't been on for a while. But anytime Nigella's about, I want to watch it. Um, actually, I just caught one on iPlayer called Paula McIntyre's Hamley Kitchen. It's a really strange one for me watching it because I don't want to make anything she's made, but I could not keep my eyes off this programme. I think I watched three episodes in one go. I think there's only maybe four in the first series, but she, she sure as hell should get a second series because it was really good. She talks so lovingly and passionately about talk, cooking with local produce. Lots of things I would never have cooked before. Lots of slightly old traditional Irish processes as well, and she tries to bring them up to date. She talks a lot about how much butter would be involved originally. Um, but she's, I just love the way she talks about food. She brings it back to her environment, back to nature. She goes out on a fishing boat one week. I just love it. Her kitchen is also just as addictive. Um, I really like her kitchen and the views are incredible. I believe it's off the Ulster coast. And, um, because Ulster's right at the kind of top of Ireland, there's lots of Scottish heritage involved as well. And... I just found the program really addictive and it's made me it's not made me be like oh I want to get her cookbook and try these recipes at home it's made me think I want to go to Ulster and eat food that I wait for year in year out apart from Bake Off obviously okay. how about you what's your 
Great British menu. Now, it's not something we watch to learn about. I really want to make that dish. Mm. Because Great British menu, if you haven't watched it, is effectively the highest level of cooking competition on TV. Mm. And it's where most of the current batch of celebrity chefs or famous chefs have come from, including most of the Michelin stars, most of the Michelin starred chefs Mm. that we are in the UK at the moment. So it's very, very amazingly high-end cooking program but we really like it it's like our favorite it's the thing we actually look forward to the most bake-off is a bit hit miss it kind of depends for me it depends on which batch of contestants they've done remember a couple of years ago they were all very much instagram pretty bakers Mm. and i think it was a bit of backlash against that i think you can normally skip episode one and two of bake-off as well Um, i'm putting a face at your great british menu because i loved the first two or three series yeah when they actually, the whole concept is that they're cooking for a banquet. Yes. And I think it was the Queen's Jubilee and then maybe an Olympic banquet. Yeah. And so they had something to theme it around. There was an end goal. It was the best chefs from around the country. It also kind of made you think, oh, I like that guy. Maybe let's find out where his restaurant is and maybe I'll go. Now it just seems a bit like silly food for the sake of silly food. I watched it, one episode the other day and I was like, what are they cooking? It can be. You can get. So it's variable depending on the region, which is a bit unfair. Generally, London and the South East is the best one. Mm, okay. But that, that's that's largely because that's just where the best chefs end up gravitating to because that's where the money is. Mm. Um, and I totally agree. Some of it gets a bit overly chefy mm. and gets a bit pointless. What's been nice this year is they've changed up the format a bit. They've got rid of a couple of the judges. So Matthew Ford and Oliver Payton have gone and they've got Tom Kerridge in. And another guy, I don't know if he was judging, but because I haven't seen it probably for four years... The guy that I remember being a contestant, like a bit rocker, flying V tattoo, seems to now be, maybe not judging, but he's like part of the crew. Like So, the... veteran chef. Yeah. So, mm. the veteran. So, yes, you, mm. I know who you're talking about. So, what they've done is, and also, they've, they're rotating in some of the newer winners are coming in as chefs. So, Niall came in, Niall Keating came in this year, mm. who's outstanding as one of the veteran chefs. So if those, if those of you who haven't never watched the programme, you tend to have, you get four high-end chefs. Normally in places like MasterChef, they're not head chefs, so they're not they're not head chefs or executive chefs. They don't own their own restaurant, but they want to. That's the next, effectively it's the next step for them. In Great British Menu, they tend to have to be fine. Head, head chefs or equivalent of fine dining restaurants in order to compete. I don't know the actual, how they select them, but it's invitation only. And then they're judged by a veteran chef who's generally Michelin starred, or he's just extremely well regarded. And they have previously been on the competition. So they know they know what the deal is um, and what they're trying to pull. And there's and there's normally a, well, there's always a, a brief. And this year's brief is 100 years of British broadcasting. So as well as making amazing food, they also have to be on brief. It has to have a theme, which sometimes where they can fall down, is it can either, they can either do a restaurant dish put on a pretty platter and it's got no meaning to the brief whatsoever. Mm. But delicious. But delicious. Or it's it's a roast dinner on a prop. So the, so the prop's completely yeah, crazy. I kind of hate the prop thing. Like, people need plates. Food should be on white plates. But for us, it's just, it's really, it is very chefy because these are the best chefs in the country mm. doing, trying to do, in a competition, trying to do new and innovative food. I think bringing in Tom Kerridge, who's won, he's won the competition several times. And also he's an extremely amazing chef in his own right. Yeah. And also his style is not very fussy anyway. Yeah. He's very clean very local produce, all about the taste, all about the flavour. I think it's been a really good move. They've also brought in Ed Gamble, who runs a food podcast. He's Is a... he off table? Yeah. Off menu? Off t- yeah. 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 So he's... And he's, he's been very good, actually. Mm. He's foodie but funny. Mm. So they've got some really some of the, some of the fuddy, fuddy-duddiness. And they've got Nisha, Misha, Misha, who runs um, Mogwai. So she's in as well. Mm. And then they have the rotating guest judge. So it's been really good. And I don't... Yeah, so it's not... Sometimes we watch MasterChef and we're like, oh, we could make that. And that's quite mm. nice. We did a P-Day recipe recently, which was yeah. great. I sent Stephanie a photo and she was like, what? Which is a kind of Turkish flatbread pizza style thing, but a bit different. Absolutely amazing. But we wouldn't generally do anything from menu. We just really, really like it. I guess mm. it's just mm. seeing all that happening. And I guess there's that community thing about this big banquet, which is a theme. And yes, sometimes it is very contrived. There was one guy that well, was... It sounds tra- to me like it's the BBC having a banquet for the BBC. Yeah. Like, oh, we've got nobody who wants a banquet anymore, so we'll make one up for ourselves. Well, there's ITV and Channel 4. Oh, and it was all broadcasting. It's all broadcasting, okay. so there's, um, there's all sorts of stuff in there. So, yeah, I think there's a very fine balance, and mm. I agree. Very fine balance between producing a really nice eatable place of food and staying on brief 
and making it a banquet dish. It's a tough, must be a really tough thing to do. Yeah, because banquet food is very different if you've yeah. got to serve 200 covers at yeah. once. You and, don't and want it, to be foaming stuff or, yeah. Sometimes they can't get the foam out for four people 20 metres away. Mm. And so if you're trying to foam for 200 mm. people. And that makes it interesting judging, doesn't it? Because they have to say they've not managed to get three plates out, so not going to happen. That's no, just going to be impossible. Mm. Or some of the really chefy stuff is just not going to work on a, on yeah. a banquet scale. Yeah. Um, and the, I think one of the things, it's just seeing... You know, I watch a bit of sport and what, what I like seeing is really talented people competing and being incredibly passionate about what they're doing. And I find that really interesting in all fields of life. It doesn't really bother me yeah. what it is. It could be handwriting or something, you know, handwriting competition. Yeah. If you're people really passionate about what oh, they like do. the repair shop. Like the repair shop, which makes oh, me cry. Yeah. Um, but one of the nice things about menu is that the, I think one thing we other thing we really like doing apart from the really passionate people producing food in a beautiful mm. way is the produce is incredible mm. because it's all very regional they mm. do different rounds they do so every about uh, 10 weeks mm. and they have different regions so four chefs from each region fighting it out and the the showcase of the produce and the independent producers as well and they take time to follow the chefs to the producers. So someone has an amazing cut of meat or someone has got these amazing heritage vegetables, they'll go to the farmer and they'll go to the butchers and they'll go and talk to the... Which is a really nice little spot and they're really passionate about their dishes. They spend the time talking to the to the producers themselves, which you don't often see in this kind of thing. And again, passionate people talking about this heritage carrot farm that they run. So. Some of those round here, we've got to get to some. Heritage carrot farms? Yeah. There's lots of fruit and veg grown in Nottinghamshire, Lincolnshire, Leicestershire. All the shires. Shires. So we, we still need to, to do the Stilton out. tour. So that is Great British Menu. That's my favourite cooking programme. Not because I want to make food. I just love watching passionate people do what they do best. You've just made me think about the Stilton, about having cheese at um, our lovely cheese place in um, Beeston, Essen. Thanks for listening to Food Glue. Please subscribe to us and share us with all of your friends, family, your nan, your dog, whoever. We would love to hear from you via our Instagram at foodgluepod or you can email us foodgluepod at gmail.com and if you've got some spare time please do rate and review us on your favourite podcast player because it helps other people to find us